Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Ray Garendi. He is a clinical psychologist, author, professional speaker uh, on national radio, television. He has the Dr. Ray Call-In Show, which is in over 440 stations. Also, Living Right with Dr. Ray that can be seen on EWTN. Probably most importantly, he's a husband and father of 10, and everything else kind of takes a backseat to that. Right, Dr. Ray? Well, that's what the parole officer would say anyway. Well, you know, you got to stick with the parole officer. Otherwise, you know where we end up. <laughs> that's the truth. Good to be with you, Deacon. Yeah, I appreciate you being back again. And we're going to talk about your latest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist, Listen to Him. And I think, you know, it's, it's so obvious, but it's, you know, sometimes the most obvious things are the things we miss. And I think, you know, going through the book and, and the chapters and all the things, it's it's such a great reminder that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have somebody who knows us better than we know ourselves. One of the dumbest things that people can say about Jesus, and if they say this, can reveal that they really don't know much about him. And it's probably the most common thing that is said, Jesus was a good man. Now, <clears throat> I'm a shrink, Somebody comes into my office and sounds really philosophical and smart. But at the end of it says, I did want to tell you one other thing. I am God. That's a delusion. That's a sign of serious psychological disturbance. If Jesus is not God, he's not worth listening to. He may have a few good points that somebody might say, I like that. I'll, I'll choose that one. But if he is God, then you have to listen to him if you want to live the best life, whether you agree with him or whether you don't, or whether psychology agrees with him or whether it doesn't. So, Deacon, it all just hinges upon who was this guy. Well, and, you know, all you have to do is read Psalm 139, right? He he knew us before we were born. Even the light is, I mean, the dark is as light as the day. I mean, he knows everything about us. Yet we try to convince ourselves we're something other than we're better than we really are or whatever. And you go into that in the book in several different chapters. Uh, it really is when we have a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything. But that doesn't mean we still don't need a psychologist, right? We still we need help here on Earth. And, you know, a psychologist that understands and is rooted in Christ is like gold, right? They are few and far between, Deacon. That's one thing. Uh, it's important to respect people's values and morals when they come in. I, I practice secular psychology as well as a Catholic perspective, because some people who come in my office, they're even atheists, okay? Mm -hmm. But what they don't understand is that if there is a good way to live, then it's a good way to live whether you believe in God or whether you don't. And Jesus gives us a whole bunch of good ways to live. But the other thing that he does is he tells us why. He doesn't just say, okay, do this. Good enough. Okay, next. He says, here is why this will work for you. If you, if you want to be psychologically healthy and whole, 
then follow me. Do what I say. If you don't, if you want to concoct your own system, cobble together your own psychological principles, you can. But on the basis of what comes and goes. Well, and you've, you've been a psychologist for a long period of time. You've probably seen you know, new ideas come and go. But in the end, it's really the teachings of Jesus Christ put into practice. And when you do that, my guess is it makes a world of difference. In the 1970s, Deacon, the self-image, the self-esteem movement gained its momentum. It just blasted onto the psychological cultural scene. Kids have to have high self-esteem. They have to feel really, really good about themselves. You put up flowers on the bulletin board that says, there's no flower like me in the whole world. I'm the best flower that exists. And that idea on paper just sounded wonderful. But as the research has had time to scrutinize it, self-image is not really related to much of anything, to tell you the truth. As a matter of fact, if you pursue self-image for its own sake, you risk becoming self-centered and obnoxious. Jesus gives us self-image that doesn't move. In other words, if I, Ray Garendi, say, Ray Garendi's a great guy. Why? Well, because I say he is. I declare it so. That's meaningless. It's hinged upon nothing. It's hanging in psychological midair. But if I say the God of the universe declares Ray Garendi infinitely valuable, no matter what he achieves, no matter how much status he has, no matter how much money he has, no matter how much success he has in the world's eyes, in, in God's eyes, that's meaningless. Jesus said something interesting, I think, that would get him kicked out of a counseling class. He said, when you do what you're supposed to do, don't, don't expect a reward. Just say, we are worthless servants. Now, you can't say that. The self-esteem gospel does not allow that. So why, why would Jesus counsel that? Because he knows that if you chase and pursue accolades, you will ultimately, in the end, be very disappointed. Because there will never be enough to satisfy you. When you are an unworthy servant, you're recognizing your status. You're doing what is good and right for its own sake. Yeah, I mean, if we are constantly looking for other people to give us our self-esteem or to kind of make us feel better about ourselves. I think to your point, we're always going to be searching for those people. And what happens when we run into somebody who thinks we're a schmuck? I just got a, I just got a letter like that today. I get them all the time in the email. Lady wrote in and I had done a uh, bit on the show and she said, is Dr. Ray familiar with the verse, you will be held accountable for every idle word you speak? And I, of course, I really, really am because half my words are idle words. So I'm familiar with it. But she, she basically, if I, if my self image as a shrink or as a host on a radio show was dependent upon whether I got a good email or a bad email, I'd be in big trouble because I, I can't control how other people are going to perceive what I say or do. I can only worry about if it's good and right. So you're right. Self-image, self-esteem is attached to virtually nothing. It's built on sand. Deacon, here's an interesting study that was done. They compared uh, 
kids from several countries on math achievement, the score. And then they asked the kids, how good do you feel about your score? Okay. Of the countries, and I know you don't know which countries, but just take a wild guess. Which country you, you think scored the highest? What, which kids? What, from what country? I would say probably like Japan or China or something like That's that. Exactly right. Japan. Exactly. Which country was last in scores? Uh, probably the U.S. It was the U.S. Which country felt the best about their performance? Probably the U.S. because they, you know, they, they think they can do no wrong. Or most of us, yeah. Bingo. Bingo. So you see what happens? I mean, that self-image was terribly misleading. It was terribly misleading. They thought they were at the top when, in fact, in reality, their performance was at the bottom. Jesus says, you have to recognize in God's scheme of things, two things. One, you are infinitely valuable. That can never change. Two, you do not have value based upon your accolades, achievements, and successes. That can never change. Well, and I think, you know, to your point, each one listening today and anyone who would ever listen is infinitely valuable to Jesus. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be here. He doesn't create uh, us and say, oh, I got to take a mulligan on that one. <laughs> Ray was a practice round, huh? <laughs> Let's see if, see if I can do better in the next generation. Maybe he has more than one practice round. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. You know, I was prompted to write the book because modern psychology has, has done two things here, Deacon. One, whether it admits it or not, it has come around in many ways to Jesus's teaching. And I'll give you a couple examples of that in a second. Two, in many ways, modern psychology clashes directly with Jesus's thinking. And a person has to decide which, which course am I going to follow? Because even though he walked the earth 2000 years ago and he had no psych 101 courses, uh, if he's God, then he's infinitely smart. And he's 2000 years ahead of psychology coming to correct conclusions. Well, not only is he smart, he cares for us more than we could care for ourselves. So smart and loving us trumps anything you could possibly think of, right? Well, that's a good lead in to an interesting thing that he said. He said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God that you have hidden these things from the learned and the wise and revealed them to little children. Now, our whole culture says it is better to be smart. Does it not, Deacon? I mean, who wouldn't want a 140 IQ as opposed to a 100 IQ, correct? Yeah, if I multiply mine times two, I can get 140, Dr. Ray. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'd like to give you some, but I can't afford to lose any more. Uh, so. <laughs> So, so given this, why would Jesus say, thank you that you've hidden this from the learned? Now, okay, so, so we say, well, a lot of learned people are learned in one area. A scientist is learned in his particular field. 
a musician is learned in his field. It doesn't mean he's learned about the things of God. He can be the most brilliant person in the world, scientifically speaking, and be an atheist. And if he's wrong about being an atheist, he's incredibly stupid. Okay, but wise? Now, wait a minute. Wise is a good quality, isn't it, Deacon? Why would you not want to be wise? What was Jesus saying? You're a deacon. You know this stuff, but I'll, I'll throw the question out to you. Yeah, well, right. You can be uh, wise as a serpent, too, right? I mean, we know that the yeah. devil's wise. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean yeah. wisdom. Uh, that, type of, that type of book smarts doesn't trump the wisdom of God. That's right. You can be wise in your own eyes. And there's where the right. problem comes in. I've had discussions with people who see themselves as very, very bright. They're heavily college educated and they've lost their faith. Extremely, extremely bright. And in their mind, to think about matters of faith and to think about the evidence for Christ and his deity, uh, that, that's, that's for the little people. That's for the uneducated. They already are too smart. They don't go down that path. And that, I think, is the danger that Jesus was talking about, that you can, in fact, have so much faith in your earthly wisdom that you don't even look toward wisdom that is grounded in God. You don't. I, I'm smart enough but as it is. Well, aren't people who, who think that way with that type of mentality uh, think they're almost equal to God, right? I mean, they think they're smart and we couldn't be any further from the truth. I think you used, I, I remember hearing you talk about using the example, we're closer to ants than we are to God. That's right. Uh, I used the anthill example. If uh, you and I, Deacon, were standing over an anthill, and I pointed down and I said, uh, Deacon, see that one ant over there? He's, uh, he's, he's smarter than any other ant on that hill. He, he is so far above those other ants. And that one over there is the ruler of the colony. I mean, every ant respects him. He's got the power. And I would ask you, Deacon, are you impressed? And you'd say, no. I'd say, why? Because they're ants. That's why. I don't care how smart he is. He's an ant. Well, yep. God is infinitely higher above us than we are above ants. So whatever our achievements and our accomplishments and our IQ and whatever we value as humans, if it's really not connected to our relationship with God, it's kind of meaningless to God because he's just so far above us. I, you know, the, the guy with the IQ of 161 versus the person with the IQ of 82 uh, yeah, the, the, the earth, the humans might value him, but to God, <laughs> 80 points is an infinitesimal sliver. <laughs> well, and you even talk, and I forget which chapter it's in, you, you talk about that little, uh, almost like a little poem about the person who goes to heaven and is, or, you know, sees all these people and like wondering how they got there. And then in the end, they were wondering how that person got there. <laughs> the biggest surprise, they didn't expect to see him there. Right. And, you know, that that comes from the old take the log out of your eye so you can take the speck out of somebody else's eye. Now, as a psychologist, I look at that and I don't I don't necessarily view it as Jesus is saying, if you're going to criticize somebody else, make sure your vision's clear. That may be part of it. But look at what mm -hmm. he does. He says you've got a log in your eye. In other words, you're blind to you. You don't see who you are as a psychologist. If somebody comes in my office and what, whatever guidance I give them, if they don't have enough insight 
into themselves to recognize what would be good and healthy for them, they're going to go nowhere. That's why confession is so valuable, Deacon. When I, when I left the church, I left the church for eight years. When I was in the evangelical world, never went to confession. Didn't have to. I was saved. I'm in. Do not pass go. Do not collect a million dollars. And I never went to confession. And I really slowed down looking at myself. I didn't have to. Christ had already forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. It's when I came back to the church and I had to look at my soul for confession that I was forced to chip away at that log in my eye. And I think, I think that is so critical to any kind of self-improvement. I, I think that's one of the more critical chapters because it talks about you can't get that block out of your eye. You're not moving forward at all. No, you're just you're living in a fantasy land. I always like to think that's why God created mirrors, because every time I look at it, 99 and I'm getting kind percent of my problems is looking right back at me. <laughs> we don't like to think that, Deacon, as part of fallen human nature. My problem is those other people. My problem is my spouse. My problem is my adult child. My problem is my brother-in-law. If those people were different, I wouldn't have to be like this. The common denominator is the individual. Yeah. And Jesus says, you better look at yourself. But, you, but, but okay, if you're familiar, you probably had a lot of psych courses. You familiar with the term cognitive dissonance? Yeah. It means basically holding two ideas in your head that are seemingly contradictory. And that contradiction creates an unsettlement. Now, there is a cognitive dissonance spiritually. On one hand, I am a sinner. I am riddled with all kinds of faults, foibles, and failings. On the other hand, God loves me completely and it doesn't matter to him that I have these sins. I mean, he, he wants me to change, obviously, and repent. But the fact that I am a sinner in my nature, uh, to him does not make a whit of difference in his love for me. Now, that's a cognitive dissonance, because if I knew somebody that was a sinner as big as me, I, I, I would have a harder time loving them. It would just don't come easy. But to right. him, it does. And we can't, I can't understand that. I mean, I can, I can, I can rationalize it intellectually and say, God is love. So therefore he, that's his nature and he loves, that's his nature. I, I got that. But when I parallel that to me and I say, on one hand, I'm a sinner, but on the other hand, I'm infinitely lovable. Hmm. How do I digest that? <laughs> well, and it is. And, and when you do and you taste it, it doesn't taste good either, but that doesn't mean it's not good for you. Uh, you know, you talk about turning the other cheek as well, right? And in a culture that really, I mean, the culture we're living in now, this woke culture, you know, the cancel culture, where really everybody is embracing confrontation, right? I mean, instead of turning the other cheek, they're trying to cancel anybody who even might think of something that they don't like. One of the interpretations of Jesus saying that, Deacon, I'm sure you've heard it, uh, is that you have to be a pacifist. And under any circumstances, you don't respond with violence to violence. And I, of course, the rest of Scripture doesn't show that, okay? And the church mm -hmm. doesn't teach that. The interpretation that most fits well with me is the one where, in that culture, if you slap somebody on the cheek, that's an insult. 
That's basically a high sign that you are worthless. And Jesus is saying, give me your other cheek because he can't make you worthless. He can't do it. It's not in his power to make you worthless. Give me other cheek. Show him it's not going to affect you. And I drew a parallel between 99 plus percent of the way we get upset at other people is not because they punched us in the head, not because they slapped us or pinched us. It's because they said something. The words, we take offense, we get hurt, we stew, we ponder retaliation. How could he think that of me? I don't do that to him. I'm sick of it. He's been doing this for 12 years now. He's my dad, I know, but I just can't take him anymore. He's a toxic person. I'm going to get him out of my life. Well, if we can turn the other cheek, if we can just basically go with the flow of this and say, look, I know what he thinks. I don't agree with what he thinks. It's not true what he thinks, the best of my judgment. I'm going to really work hard on not being upset about this. I'm going to just turn the other cheek and I'm going to flow with it. Well, Dr. Ray will become a doormat. No, no, just the opposite. If you can't mm-hmm. get to me, Deacon, by some way you try to hurt me or some, some nonsense thing you say about me, and you can't do that, you don't have that power, I'm not a doormat. Matter of fact, I'm totally beyond your reach. Psychology yeah. used to have, do you remember assertiveness training, Deacon? Oh, yeah, yes. It was, it was ugly. It was ugly. Assertiveness training says you have to make sure that people understand your rights. And if you think they're doing something to offend, you point it out. You don't be aggressive, but you let them know. Well, they've had studies done more recently that have said people of that mindset are more agitated than people who simply do not respond and tend to ignore it and flow with it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you don't internalize that stuff, because one, what they're saying is, right, I mean, it'd be like somebody coming up to me criticizing, saying you have green hair. If I don't have green hair, why would I care what they say? That's exactly right. Hey, remember the old saying, uh, if you want to make me mad, tell a lie about me. If you want to make me really mad, tell the truth about me. (laughs) It's like, okay. I got to do one thing. Whatever you say about me, I've got to do the best of my ability with God helping me. I got to look at it and say, am I that? Am I that way? Do I do that? Is that a habit of mine? I have to try to assess it. And then if I recognize, no, this person has been saying these things for 14 years. My mother-in-law has been criticizing my child rearing for 14 years. In her opinion, I'm way too religious. In her opinion, she hates homeschoolers. In her opinion, she thinks we're too strict. In her opinion, we're cutting out too much technology. Okay, that's how she thinks. But I no longer am going to allow this to determine my mood for a day and a half after every time she comes around. That's turning the other cheek. Well, and it's taking the power away from them, right? I mean, in the end, you just give people infinite power when you let them ruin your day, your week, your month uh, because of what they said. And in the end, you mentioned it earlier, it's really it's all about uh, the infinite value that Christ has for us and how do we improve and be the person he wants us to be and not worry about all the people on the side. Do you think, Deacon, that if people have that kind of power to make you unsettled or feel terrible or ruin your mood for three days because of something they said. You think that can kind of just 
pull you away from paying much attention to our Lord because you're so caught up in the moment to moment, quote unquote, hurts? Well, you're self-focused, right? I mean, and anytime we're self-focused instead of looking outward, right? Love is the will, the good of the other, not make sure that I get everything I want. Then, yeah, that's exactly your, your point is exactly right on. And that's an irony, too, Deacon, because many people think that if they're hypersensitive or they're easily offended or they're delicate, that that they're soft, that that they're that way because they're an empathic, sympathic, uh, sensitive individual, when in fact, that really is a form of self-absorption. It truly is. If, if I can be hurt by anything and everybody, I, I am prideful. Uh, you, you shouldn't do that to me. I don't deserve you doing that to me. Well, I guess when me, myself, and I are my three favorite people, that is a recipe for disaster. Well, I wanted to share with this is really the first time I've said this, but I got a new book coming out. It's called uh, The Three Most Humble People I Know and How I Taught the Other Two. <laughs> Uh, I think that would come with a lot of people. <laughs> you, that, that'll put you on the spot in your private island after that book comes out. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know that one of the lines in the book about humility is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. And that's perfect, right? I mean, if, if, if people listening to this just took that away, that would change their lives in, in by leaps and bounds. Yes, because they would be more settled. They'd be more at peace. They'd be much closer to joy and contentment. They wouldn't be at the mercy of whatever happens, whatever words happen to come their way. Exactly. Now we're down to about last 30 seconds or so. Again, the book is Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him. How can people follow what you're doing, Dr. Ray, and, you know, make sure that they're keeping up on, to be honest, how to really be self-aware? Easiest thing, go to my website, drray.com, D-R-R-N-Y.com. All the books are there, and, and they have all kinds of clips there and whatever they whatever they want to use to, to their benefit. Well, all I can say is go out and get the book. It's great. Dr. Ray does a great job of bringing Jesus into every chapter. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.